Demetrius, Mighty Mouse Johnson, attempts to make UFC history as he defends his title against Ray Borg. Plus, one of UFC's fiercest rivalries will be settled when current women's bantamweight champion Amanda Nunes defends against Valentina Shevchenko. UFC 215, Johnson versus Borg, Saturday, September 9th, live on pay-per-view from Rogers Place in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Welcome, welcome back. It's Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. I hope it's welcome back. If this is your first time here, welcome. I don't know what's taking you so long. You can go back and re-listen to some of the older ones, but uh, this uh, this is a wrestling podcast done by me, who's a wrestling fan, for, you guessed it, wrestling fans. We all still like watching wrestling, um, and uh, and we don't want to kill ourselves by watching it, because if we did, we wouldn't be watching it anymore. It's a very, very simple philosophy that we have here on the show. There's so much to get into this week on the Wrestling Podcast. Uh, Going to have a nice long state of wrestling, talking about everything that went on on Raw and SmackDown. I thought it was a specifically good episode of SmackDown, and I'll explain exactly why. Um, I also um, want to talk about Jeff Jarrett leaving TNA. I want to talk about WWE's new holiday schedule. Make sure you listen uh, in between the interview and State of Wrestling, my little bridge segment, because we'll get into the news that the Sasha Banks podcast last week made and everybody that was talking about Sasha's opinion on, uh, well, stalkers, on keeping the championship, on all of that stuff. So we'll get to all of it here this week on the Wrestling Podcast. So happy to be here with you and present to you this week's interview. Well, wait till you hear who I've got. Right before he went down for an injury, I got a chance to sit down with the man himself, Big Cass. Yes, and uh, I really like Big Cass, and that's why it was so heartbreaking to see him go down with that injury on Raw right after SummerSlam because... I think he deserves it. He's one of the guys who really deserves to be where he is. You know, and there's there's some people that don't, but this is a guy who does. And uh I've known and gotten to talk to Big Cass for a little while now. One of the one of the great things about doing this podcast for as long as I've been doing it and interviews with superstars even before the podcast existed is that you get to know people. You know, you get to know some of these guys. And inevitably, you follow their careers, and, and, and they kind of know you, and, and, and you see the work and the output that these guys are doing and why exactly they're doing it. When I first, Katie Linendahl and I were at NXT's first roadshow. When they first started doing live events outside of Florida, they went to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And Katie and I went, and we recorded some interviews that we aired here on the podcast and that I aired on SiriusXM. And the guys that we interviewed before that big show in Philadelphia were Finn Balor, were Kevin Owens, were Sasha Banks, and were a tag team called Enzo and Big Cass. And at that point, you know, of course, Kevin Owens and Finn Balor had done plenty of interviews in their time. They were big-time independent wrestlers before they got to NXT. But the Sasha Bankses of the world, the Enzo and Casses of the world, they hadn't done a ton of press. You know, and to watch these guys prosper to the point where the people that we were talking to then are the people that are going on the major 
media tours now is really, really cool to see and to, and to watch a guy really be successful from that point forward is a very, very cool thing to see. Again, that's why it sucked watching him go down to that uh, injury. But you don't know. You know, the thing about Big Cass is that he wasn't even close to his peak when he went down. You know, Finn Balor, for example, when he went down for his injury uh, at SummerSlam last year, he had just won the Universal Championship. Technically, he actually got injured before he won the championship. But when he had, he had to surrender the championship and then go away for several months. And he still, you know, loved the demon as much as, as, as I do. Finn Balor is still on that journey to get back to the spot that he was in before he left. Big Cass, on the other hand, he was kind of stuck in his, in his thing with Enzo, ending that. He wasn't exactly, and he was going to get there, but he wasn't exactly to the point where he can be yet. So, we don't know. Maybe he comes back. We can look at this optimistically. Maybe he comes back from injury and he's even stronger. Maybe when he gets back, he's better than he was. Maybe at least in a better position. You know, I, I just hope he recovers fully, comes back stronger than he ever was. And I think people are going to go nuts when Big Cass returns. So, so I'm looking forward to it. And I got the chance to sit down with the man himself right before his injury. I mean, like a couple of days before he before he got hurt. And we talked about a lot of stuff. We talked about this perceived heat that Enzo has. We talked about, you know, where he came from and how he started. We talked about the pressure. The pressure that guys go through when they realize, like, yeah, the WWE is going with you, dude. That that the WWE has chosen you as as to be that guy. And boy, now you've got to deliver. So we talked about all of it, and I could talk about what we talked about forever. But instead, I'm going to stop talking about what we talked about so you can hear what we talked about here. On the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview this week, it's Big Cass. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. I think, yeah, for the first time since the NXT days, back in the studio with me. I mean, we've had conversations since the NXT days, but they haven't been recorded. Yeah. Big Cass is here. Big Cass, uh... Normally I would say what's the haps, but how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm uh, I'm excited watching you and and what's happening with you right now. It seems like there there's this 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 push, for lack of a better word, to make Cass the next big kind of giant monster guy. And I think that that's a pretty cool place to be in. Well, I is think it? it is a pretty cool place to be in. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of pressure, but I think I thrive well under pressure. Yeah. Is there is there a, what what's the what is the pressure? in taking on that role? Is it because you're looking at, at guys? Cause that traditionally, especially in WWE has been a spot for the big villain. Sometimes the big hero, whatever it is, it's a premium main event spot, right? Yeah. Well, that's, that's the goal. That's where I'm looking to be is in the main event, mm-hmm. kind of working my way up now, but a lot of pressure. Cause you know, for five years I was, you know, with somebody else and, we kind of split the talking, if you could even say that. It was kind of like an 80-20 split. And right. Now I'm out there on my own, and they're giving me 10-minute promo segs every week. And it's a lot of pressure after being you know, with someone else for, for five years. But I've always been confident in my abilities and my, my talking ability. I'm just letting the world see it now. So what's the thought when you find out you're going to be doing these monologues? Like, is it, is it scary or is it good? I, this is something I was waiting for, and it wasn't going to happen with Enzo because he's 
that's his whole yeah. thing, right? G- good pressure. Yeah. Great pressure. Like, um, when I was with Enzo, a lot of people would say, oh, man, he can't talk or whatever they'd say because Enzo's the mouthpiece. That that may have appeared to be the case, but I've always been confident in my talking ability. And I'll tell you what, Dusty Rhodes, the late, great Dusty Rhodes, he always would, you know, tell me how good I, my, my promos were, and he always enjoyed my promos. And if there was ever any question of my abilities with the office or whatever, Dusty Rhodes always went to bat for me because of my talking ability. So I've always been confident in it. Um, I know that I'm good at it. It's just finally getting a chance to show the world that and it's good pressure having those those monologues as you so eloquently called them yeah, yeah. i think that that's what they are yeah. have you liked them like have you liked have you been happy with your performances so far yes yeah uh, the promo the night i turned on enzo i was very happy with the promo yeah. the night after great balls of fire is very happy with and the promo monday i was very happy with uh the fans tried to get to me but you know that's good so right i was very happy with that promo also so um, yeah, I guess it's good for them to try to throw things at you in the beginning of this journey, right? So, like, yeah. I'm dealing with this now yeah. because it's going to keep happening. Yeah, and I keep evolving. I keep getting better and more comfortable, which is – I'm sure that's the goal in, in the company's mind is is to, you know, put me out there and get me experience because I definitely am getting more comfortable out there. Yeah, it seems sometimes, like, when they get guys that they're like, we see potential in this person, we're going to just throw him in the deep end and see if he sinks or swims. Is yeah. that kind of the mentality that you feel? I don't know. I can't put myself inside of their head or their meetings. I don't right. know why they're doing what they're doing, but I tell you what, it's not a bad thing being put in that spot. So, right, right, yeah, it's right. It's definitely a good thing. Especially if you can swim. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. if you got ankle weights on, it's not the greatest <laughs> spot. But but if you can swim, it's not a bad place to be. Yeah. So it felt like uh, after Enzo's injury, right, well, his concussion, when he was out yeah. for a month. Pay, or payback last year. Yeah. Yeah. That they started using you as singles, and it was almost like this first sort of, I don't know if it was a test, I don't know what it was, but it was this first notion of, hey, everybody, look at Cass over here. He's big, he's mean, he's tough, he's blah, blah, blah. Did you feel like, because a a lot of times, for instance, like uh, the Revival, one of them gets injured, and they're like, okay, we'll put put the team over on the shelf for a minute until they're back together, and then we'll put them right back where they were. When you started getting used, for that month or so as a singles guy and in a really great spot as a singles guy, I think in your head, are you going, okay, I think this is, this might be what they have envisioned for me. Uh, I, I always thought that one day I was going to be a solo performer and I always truly believe that I'll be a top guy in this company. I'm not quite there yet, but I do believe I'm going to be top guy. Mm -hmm. if not the guy. That's always what I've believed deep down. That's what I've thought. And when it happened, I just, I knew it was a good thing. I, I, again, I don't know what they were thinking or what was being talked about in meetings, but I knew it was a good thing. And yeah. the night after payback, you know, I'm driving to with Kevin Owens from Chicago to St. Louis, and I'm wondering, man, now I'm going to be off TV. For... And then we get there the next day, and they're like, no, you're on. It's you and the New Day. And it was a it was a eight-man tag match, and I was getting a promo. And I'm pretty sure I realized then it was kind of a test to see. It was a little barometer to see how is he going to do on his own. And I had a promo, and I thought I killed the promo. I thought match did did well, and when I came back, everybody seemed happy. And from that night on, it was kind of while Enzo was gone, it was okay. Let let's start using him as singles while Enzo's on the shelf. And that's one of those moments too, where it's like not everybody gets those opportunities. No, and it's those things where like if you blow that opportunity in that moment, 
it may never come again. Like this, like yeah. that's what a test is, right? In the moment, you don't realize how big it was, but yeah, if if I would have messed that up, I'm sure that uh, we'd be having different conversations right now. Right. So it's like so crazy. One night, one point in time. Here's your opportunity. If we give you this and you do well, then we'll start giving you some more. And then, and then uh, after SummerSlam last year, they had a vacant Universal title. Okay, let's let's put Cass in a Fatal Four Way match and see how he does in that. And I mean, that's amazing that you were in that conversation at all, right? Yeah. That kind of was like from here to a hundred. It was great. Yeah, out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, right. yeah. It's the best. And again, I think it was just kind of getting my feet wet. That's what they were doing, getting my feet wet and seeing. It was kind of just giving me things here and there to see how I would do. So, who do you look at as uh, as guys that? you look up to as styles that you look up to and things like that. Cause as a big guy, you know, you can't really look at a, everybody says Shawn Michaels or Ric Flair or this guy or that guy. And it's like, you, yeah. you wouldn't wrestle like them because right. you're huge. I, so, yeah, I think in ring wise undertaker and Kevin Nash would be the two biggest ones that I, I watch. I mean, I watch a lot of stuff. I watch a lot of people. I try to take everything, little things from everybody. But yeah. if I say that there was two that my style was based around, it's, it's those two guys. Um, and in terms of in backstage or people I look up to, I mean, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this because it's the week of SummerSlam, but the Big Show is definitely a guy uh, that I look up to. Just in terms of how he operates. How he operates, how he carries himself. He's always got really good advice. It's just he's the man. He's, just, he's great. It's amazing, too, because you all you hear stories about the Big Show when he was young and they're not the best and, and you know, being sent down here and this and that. But when you can find guys that have kind of, lived through it been been through it all yeah. and can come back and are now in the right yeah. place of mind yeah. and can you can learn from their mistakes yeah. like it's pretty it's pretty extraordinary i never understand people who don't learn from others mistakes right like they go well that's not going to happen to me i can do all that that he did and i'm not i'm different yeah. and you go no you're yeah. doing the same thing man yeah we were me and uh, we were just talking about that last week, that very moment, and just kind of how Terry Taylor would phrase it, from the penthouse to the outhouse, and then <laughs> straight from the outhouse back to the penthouse. So it's learning from other people's ex- – you have to learn from other people's experiences. Right. You'd be stupid not to. Right. And and, and it really – you know, I ask people all the time about influences, and not that many people get into like, well, in terms of like working and in the ring, this guy, but backstage, that guy. Like you don't – I guess I don't hear that that much, but that's equally as – important of a part right especially in oh, this yeah. in this era of of sports entertainment or wrestling or whatever you want to call it yeah the the backstage attitude is as important as it's ever been because there's fewer and fewer places to to work yeah and hunter is another guy that's just always always open to talk to and always gives great advice on pretty much anything he says you i kind of take his gospel yeah if he says it, it's like okay that's got to be the right that's the right way to do it like it has to be you know right i mean you look at a guy who's been successful yeah and it's not like it's successful in terms of putting on amazing matches successful in terms of surviving in the business just yes all around yeah so he's he's a guy that definitely when he says something it has to be true to, to me i'm like yep that's right right so i just do it that way you know right uh and undertaker's another guy when he's around i try to try to talk to him as much as possible yeah is that a tough thing to do because i would imagine a lot of young guys want to talk to the undertaker about yeah but a lot of people are kind of intimidated by him uh-huh. uh, you know yeah he's the undertaker yeah he's you know quote unquote he's like the the godfather of, of the locker room so, sure uh i i feel like i have a good rapport with him and i try to talk to him as much as possible when when he's around i, I try to pick his brain and just listen to what he thinks about what i'm doing what other people are doing because um, 
he's the undertaker. Does he have a soft, uh, soft spot for other big guys? I have no idea. I, I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> right. He talks to me. <laughs> right. There's right. A certain people maybe he doesn't talk to, so I, I, I can't say, but I know I have the pleasure of speaking with him. That's one of those things where it's like I don't assume anything as long as he keeps talking to yeah, me. Yeah, I just yeah. want to want to yeah. keep things copacetic and exactly where they are, yeah. and that's good. Yeah. So it, it, it became – part of the storyline of you turning on Enzo, Mm -hmm. but it's also, I mean, first it was brought up on the internet, it's been brought up on uh, bringing to the table on the network, like it's in the zeitgeist, this this concept of uh, Enzo making people upset, not in real life, right? Yeah, in real life, in in, in real life. What is the, the legend versus the truth to that? Enzo is Enzo. Like, the guy you see on TV is the guy you see in real life. It's just Enzo is Enzo. And right. I've said this before. Enzo wouldn't be in the spot he's in. He would have never made it this far if he didn't act the way he does. So, like, there's good with bad. But a guy like that, it just that's how he got that far is just being Enzo. So, so this way of, like, grabbing attention for himself, for himself, for himself, sometimes that's very, very good because it boosts you out of a crowd and sometimes – People yeah. get annoyed by it. I don't know if I'd say it's like give me attention. I just say it's kind of a go out and take it mentality. Gotcha. That yeah, that's Enzo. That's how he got this far. I mean, yeah, he there, the odds were stacked against that guy many times. Yeah, he just he got this far because that's who he is. When you realize that he's rubbing people the wrong way, is that one of those scenarios where you're like, uh, is the distancing yourself in the storyline a true thing, or is it? No, I, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I've distanced myself from him. Uh, the storyline is kind of, kind of taken on its own its own thing. Like once it started being talked about, and then people started talking about it on the internet. Right. Then they're like, oh, "Oh, really? People talk about talk about it? Well, okay. Either even if it's not real, let's pretend it is, and let's let's just let's put it even more out there on on TV. Right. Uh, I- you guys on that that show Corey Graves and JBL. Yeah. Okay, talk about it there, and then you do say something in your promo. People buying in. I feel like it's one of those things. Yeah, where it's where because it's a fun story to talk about, right? Everybody loves gossip, and everybody loves, loves like, it. somebody being, a, ooh, they don't like this guy, and none of us know. Nobody Nobody's knows. back there. Nobody knows any of it. Nobody knows any, and half the stuff you read on the internet isn't, right. isn't true. But that's a fun one to just go with. And, like, you, I read yeah. stories, and I'm like, like, it's clear to me that somebody is just, like, taking some poetic license and being like, yeah, and they also don't like him because this and that and this, and I'm like, well, how would anybody? What do you? Yeah. What how you, would anybody even be aware of this? So, yeah. Sometimes I read those and I'm like, "What? Where did this person even get this information from?" <laughs> yeah. It's like totally foreign. So yes, yes. What well, happens in, in in radio too? Like I'll read things that are going on behind the scenes at Sirius or on my radio show, and I'll be like, "That." Yeah. It's like somebody just made this up out of nowhere. It like happens, it's, it happens. It's everywhere. crazy behavior. It happens everywhere. Even they, they talked recently about. Uh, this weekend, I think LeBron and Kyrie had a had a sit down together. Right, and then someone says that's not true. That never happened. So, <laughs> if it happened, then why is this person saying it didn't? And if it didn't happen, where did they get that information? Like it just happens. Right. It happens everywhere. It's almost like one of those things. I feel like uh, they'll take that right. Like somebody will have this idea that oh. I'll bet they had a sit-down somewhere. And then another person will just really like the idea and go, they had a sit-down somewhere. Where and, was it? Uh, restaurant XYZ. Right. Write it down. Boom, right. it happened. And then because everybody has a blog, everybody gets to be a reporter now, right? Oh, this, yeah. This idea of, of journalists. Like, people are like, Sam, how can I be a wrestling journalist? And I go, I don't know what a wrestling journalist is. I'm not a wrestling journalist. I just <laughs> talk to guys sometimes. But, <laughs> but, but because everybody has a blog, yeah. everybody gets to be a journalist. 
So everybody gets to be a reporter. So now this thing that you just kind of were talking about with your buddies yeah. outside of school or whatever is a news story. It's real. Yeah, it's real life. Yeah. And and I did I do like and I think it's helped out with what you're doing that WWE saw this and like acknowledged that the internet's going crazy with this. Yeah. So let's let's make this Cass's motivation. And now there's this investment yeah. because everybody wants it to be real life so much. Yeah. But they're like, yeah, I, I understand. Yeah. And if there is some truth to it, then it's definitely lights a fire in, in, in promos or whatnot. So, right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a, and all you need is a kernel, right? A kernel of truth oh, to, yeah. to turn a promo into something that is, exactly. that is real. Yes. Yeah. Do you, uh, was it, when you guys left NXT, was it sort of like, oh, I don't know if we want to leave or was it, frustrating because you had been because you guys were there for a long time yeah we wanted to be out of there yeah um as much, we loved nxt we of loved course. building the brand with everybody and uh, we really really loved the the lock both locker rooms the, the the females and the males and we all felt like we all built something together from top to bottom from hunter you know to matt bloom to regal to all the talent like we felt like as a group as a whole we really built something big and like we were really proud of it but Eventually, it's, the goal has always been Monday Night Raw or SmackDown. You sure. want to be there. So we were very happy, very happy to get called up. It was a life, lifelong accomplishment. Why do you suppose you never won the tag titles at NXT specifically? Because that was like, you know, you guys were, especially at the end, mm-hmm. it was almost like you guys were beyond the tag titles because you'd been there for so long. You were so beloved. It was like that's. I know these are the champions, but that's the team. I'll say that. I think it helped us that we never won. Right. I think uh, sometimes sometimes fans want to make their voice heard, and they want they basically want to say, no, we're, we're going to tell you behind the curtain what, who, what to do with, with whoever. Well, you're going to go by what we say. So I felt like they felt like we were their guys, and whoever was – you know, pulling the strings behind the curtain. This evil puppet well, yeah, master that was, yeah. wasn't parallel with what they were thinking. Yeah. So they were like, oh, we're going to cheer even louder for these guys. And then you'll do it. And then there was the one London, the takeover London against Dash and Dawson. Uh, people for sure thought it was the night. Right. Yeah, for sure. They would have bet money on it. And that was the first, That's the one where they started singing yeah, yeah. And the then, Enzo song and yeah, stuff, and right? Yeah, they hit the, the, the rocket launcher. Mm-hmm. And then people thought it was legit over. And then... The pullout, and then when we lost the match, you see people in the audience, hands like they were literally like heartbroken and so frustrated. Right. But I think that helped us because I think that made people think like, come on, these are our guys. Don't you hear us back there? Make them champions. It allows you to stay an underdog. Yes. Right? Even though like you're not really anymore, like you're the guys, but you're not the guys. Because we can't win that, that elusive tag title. And... If you've got a bad guy tag team, they're the champions. Oh, is that going to get them hated? Oh, yeah. Right? Like, yeah. that's going to keep them Yeah, it was great. bad guys. Like, yes. Oh, they no, this was supposed to be their night, and you ruined it for us, the fans. Like, yeah. you ruined it. Yes, and that's how they felt then and, and at Roadblock uh, in Toronto. I just – that program we had with Dash and Dawson was amazing. Yeah. It's one that I'll never forget. I really loved it. And, there, and I mean, I, I think that's a great point that you made because the Revival is, like, this tag team that, that should be – Protected as bad guys because they're such great bad guys that you run that risk of people starting to like them. They're cool. Right. And, and I want to be different, so I'm going to cheer for the guy that's bad. Right. Everyone was like so many people out there, they want to be different. Yeah. They want to be like, no, I cheered for him before anybody else did, you know? Right. So he's my guy. Like, and oh, he's cool. He can cut a good promo, so I like him. And then they start cheering for 
I think it's really hard nowadays to get heat in in wrestling. It's 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 really really hard to get heat. Well, but, you know that's why I think that your split is good for you. Yes, because like I think it'd be really difficult for you to get heat. But Enzo is so regardless of rumors. Like watch any show, he is so beloved. Yeah, and there's still you know certified G merchandise everywhere you look, and he's getting cheered everywhere. And he's so much smaller than you. The fact that he's the guy that you kick the crap out of is yeah. like, yes, this is yeah. this is what we're looking for. Yeah. Because now, how do you not boo Big Cats? Yeah. And my goal is to parlay that into when I, even when we go our separate ways in in WWE, story wise, mm-hmm. to, to parlay all that heat and bring it with me and try to add on to it. Do you like this? Is because this is your first time as a real, real bad guy. Yeah. Do you like being a bad guy? Yes. Do you like it better than, or is it just because you were a good guy for so long, it's fun it's to be different? Yeah, yeah, it's different. Yeah. I can't say if it's better. It's it's different. Yeah. But and, I love it. But it is, it's got to be nice on some level as a bad guy to be able to yell at fans, right? Like when they're, when they're booing you or whatever, you can just like, you can unleash on them. Everything you wanted to do when you were a good guy. Right. Now you can do. Right, yeah. right. So yeah. it's funner to be a bad guy. I guess you could say that. Yeah. 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 Especially when you've, I guess it's different too. Yeah. When there's a change that yeah. happens, that's, that's the point. Yeah. Um, so are there, aside from SummerSlam, are there goals that you have in mind of, of what you want to do or who you want to do it with? Universal Championship. That's it right there. I want to win it and want to main event WrestleMania. And uh, those are two of my main, main, main goals is to just to win the Universal Championship and to main event WrestleMania. And is this, are you the type of guy who looks at a goal and is like, if that takes me 10 years, that's fine. Or are you, I'm getting hungry, I'm getting frustrated. I want a main event WrestleMania, like, either this year or next year. I want a main event either this year or next year. Right. 100%. Right. 10 years, I hope it doesn't take 10 years, but maybe it will. That's that's WWE, but uh, I want it to happen as soon as possible. I'm hungry. Constantly hungry. Constantly want to get better. Constantly want to be in a bigger spot. At what point did you did you know this was for you? Like, at what point did you know you're going to be a wrestler? When I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. This I was told the dream from the beginning. College, I was going to be a doctor, but man, because that, that, that's I'm yeah, going to do that. Because you go to school to be a doctor. The whole time, I knew I wanted to. I was constantly. When I'm supposed to be studying. Sometimes I'm watching wrestling or watching YouTube videos of wrestling. Like, this yeah, is all I ever wanted to do. It's just so funny because you don't you don't normally hear like those stories. Like you hear guys that went to college and like I knew I was going to be a wrestler, but they're like undeclared or they're doing this they're not like at a prestigious school to be a doctor yeah but that's just where you were at that's where i was at I yeah i'm gonna be a doctor but well how were you so you're sitting there not concentrating on your on your medical school or whatever mm-hmm. but watching wrestling youtubes yeah how were your grades grades were good so you're just a naturally smart dude you're just good at school no i i yeah i wouldn't know i wouldn't say naturally just like if i'm in something I, i'm in it like if I'm going to watch wrestling videos, I'm going to stay up extra late to study. Like I make sure I do the best I can, no matter what it is. Right. So like if you're if you're slouching off now, you're not just going to watch wrestling videos and go to bed. Like at some point, I'm going to point, get two hours of sleep. Tonight. Yeah, yeah, because I'm I need to get you know pages hundred through two hundred read. Right. So that'll get done at right. some point in time. So that's the, I mean, and I think that that's that discipline that probably helps you. Yeah. Throughout. Yeah, and and all walks of life. Was your fa- you got to you had have been the biggest dude in medical school like you would have been a gigantic doctor probably yeah yeah were you worried when you got to wwe that they were going to make you a doctor because that was like that's the old school mentality right <laughs> they're like well what well you went to you went to medical school huh well how about how about this 
How about Dr. Cass? I was you... never worried about that. <laughs> I don't. I think that would be. I don't know. I don't know how that would work out. Maybe I don't know. Dr. Cass. I Dr. Cass. Yeah. My stethoscope. And, right. Yeah. Right. It's time for your examination. Yeah, and I knock people out, and then I take their they take their heartbeat. That'd be great. Pulse. Yeah. Yeah. You put the thing in, and you put the ear things in, and you yeah. and you take their heartbeat, and then you just shake your head. Yeah. No, nothing. And then, you... I, and then I feel up their pulse, and I go, good. <laughs> oh. I finished him all. Yeah. He's done. He's fine. Yeah, yeah. He's fine. Yeah. yeah. Was your family surprised that, that you got into this, or did they know even though? They, I think they knew. They yeah. were hoping probably, right, when you get to college, that they're like, okay, I think we got him away from this wrestling stuff. Yeah. That's pretty much like, exactly how it went. Right. And you're like, no. Yeah. No. no that's you what didn't. I'm doing. You didn't. Yeah, yeah. Was it tough? Everybody talks about uh, uh, relationships and getting separated by brand. Is it is it tough to be in a relationship with a, a female superstar that's on a, that's on the SmackDown side? Oh of yeah, things? we never see we see each other one and a half days a week. Right. I think we're the only couple on TV that that isn't on the same brand. If I'm correct, I, I'm almost 100 percent sure that that's the case. Right. Well, Renee's on Raw and SmackDown now, yeah. so that's yeah. So we're the only. It's it's tough. We so, see each other one and a half days a week. When you see each other one and a half days, yeah, that's right. Because the schedule is like mm-hmm. you have an off day that Carmella doesn't have and she has an off day that you don't have so it's that center right and do you talk about anything but wrestling in that one and a half days talk about everything but wrestling right we try not to talk about wrestling right right it's just too much because obviously yeah because it takes over everything yeah 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 no we try to we try to stay as far away from it as possible well Cass I'm uh I'm super excited about everything that's going on with you it's uh it's that's probably been the funnest you know a couple years ago when Katie and I were were doing that string of NXT interviews. Yeah, in Philly. Yeah. yeah. To why it was like it was you and Enzo and Kevin Owens and Sasha, Sasha and Balor and it's like to watch the entire generation not only people talk about like oh, I don't know, these guys go from NXT and then, you know, nothing happens with them on the main roster. But if you look, if you honestly look at the main roster yeah. and you look at the the main event scene that is obviously coming up like this next generation of main event scene. Yeah. It's that whole NXT generation. Yes, it is. And it's really cool to see. And it's got to be... It's cool for me. Yeah. yeah, it's got to be cool for you to look around and be like, yeah. we all did it. All yeah. of us are here. Yeah, because we're all... No matter what rivalries you have or whatever, you're all proud of each other because we all came up together pretty much. Yeah. Especially like those guys in FCW, like Jason Jordan. Now he's on Raw and he's, he's doing some big things. Like, yeah. I was with him at FCW, like seeing going far that far back and both having been in NXT, like, you, you're proud of each other. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, you look at a, at a team like that who you guys uh, had your wars with, but, uh, you know, Jason Jordan's over here, obviously in this prime spot on Raw, mm-hmm. and Chad Gable is getting to have these singles matches on SmackDown that Killing everybody's it. being like, oh, my God, look at this guy. Yeah. So it is, it's, it's, it's cool to watch guys uh, succeed, and you're certainly succeeding. Thank you so much, Big Cass. It's, uh, it's good to catch up with you, man. Heck, yeah. Thanks for having me. Of course, anytime. Always good. Here is Sam Roberts. Such a big Cass fan. I thank him for doing the show this week, and I can't wait till he's back. Again, I hope that he comes back stronger than ever. Big Cass is one of the guys that I would bet on. If I were a betting man, Big Cass is one of the guys that I would bet on. And a lot of people ask me, Sam, who would you bet on? I can give you superstars, but sometimes people ask me, like, uh, what team is going to win? Right? Is it going to be the Patriots or the Steelers? What, Chicago, Detroit? I go, you know, I don't know. I don't know what football team is going to win, what baseball team is going to win. The only thing I know about sports betting is where to do it. And that's mybookie.ag. Have you heard about this? MyBookie has been in the business for years, and their reputation is solid as a rock. Matter of fact, it may even be solid as the rock. 
They do 100% cash bonuses. So off the bat, you're making money for doing nothing. And they have the fastest payouts. Seriously, it's just two business days. You already know who's going to win, don't you? You don't have to ask me who's going to win. You have to ask me who to tell. You have to tell my bookie. Lay down some cash and win big today. I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie. You win, they pay. They have in-game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business, and an all-new mobile site that makes wagering on the go a Tyler Breeze. So join now, and my bookie is going to match your deposit with up to a 100% bonus. Just visit mybookie.ag, M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E.ag, and use the promo code Sam Roberts to activate the offer. You want my bookie to match your deposit with up to a 100% bonus? Then put in that promo code Sam Roberts. You'll activate the offer. It's mybookie.ag. You play, you win, then you get paid. It is that simple, and it can be that simple. Life should be that simple. You know, uh, uh, I also want to tell you where to go this weekend, um, and this is less of a of a commercial and more just a, a public service announcement. I announced uh, on, on my mailing list, and if you want to be on the mailing list, you got to go to notsam.com, but I announced on the mailing list that this Sunday, September 10th, at the Jacob Javits Center, as part of the Now Hear This podcast festival, I will be interviewing live Bobby Lashley. Yes, Bobby Lashley. Uh, there's a lot to talk to Bobby Lashley about, and I want you all to be a part of it. If you don't have tickets already, and you should, go to nowhearthisfest.com. Nowhearthisfest.com. It's a, it's a weekend-long event here in New York City. You can get a ticket for the whole weekend. Go in. There's 25 or more shows that are going on all weekend. You buy one ticket, you can go to as many podcasts as you want. You got a busy weekend or you just want to go to the wrestling block? That's not a problem. The wrestling block, you say? Yes, the wrestling block. Sunday morning, 11 a.m., Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast with Bobby Lashley, followed by Conversations with the Big Guy featuring Pat Buck and Ryback, followed by The Art of Wrestling, the OG of wrestling interview podcasts, Starring Colt Cabana, of course. So you'll see Ryback, you'll see Colt, you'll see me. One after another after another. A great way to spend an early Sunday afternoon. It's like going to a movie, but right in your face. You can just get a ticket to Sunday if all you want to see is that wrestling block. But either way, get tickets at uh, nowhearthisfest.com. Nowhearthisfest.com. You can put in that promo code Roberts and enjoy. I hope to see you all out there uh, on Sunday, September 10th. Uh, here in New York City. Now, let's talk about last week's podcast, and let's talk about Sasha Banks. That made news everywhere. Uh, some people credited Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Some people decided not to credit Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. It's okay. We don't do it for the credit. But the stuff that made news last week on the podcast was number one, of course, Sasha talking about her short title reigns and how it doesn't make her terribly happy and it makes her a little bit insecure at times, which I wasn't surprised by. But number two was the airport stalkers. That was all over the place, and it became uh, the debate that raged in the wrestling community this week uh, were Sasha Banks' comments on the people that show up at the airport trying to get autographs uh, from wrestlers. And she was talking about stories about uh, how she classifies some of them as stalkers and that uh, she throws out some of the stuff they want to get signed when she realizes that they're not on the up and up. And 
Some people agreed with her. Some people were critical of it. Uh, you know, I think Bubba Ray Dudley uh, was, he he's of the opinion that you should only worry when they don't show up for your autograph, which I, I understand his, his, where he's coming from. Actually, the guys on Reddit did a great job for me. They dug up an old interview that I did with The Miz where The Miz said something similar to Bubba Ray Dudley where he said it goes along with the territory. It's something you sign up for, you know, that he wants to be out there signing autographs because that means he's doing what he wants to do. And I think that those are valid points. But I also think that Sasha Banks comes from a place of more vulnerability than either Bubba Ray Dudley or The Miz or most of the male superstars, to tell you the truth. Sasha Banks is a, is a small female. And there's risk that goes along with that. There just is. It's, it, it's the world that we live in. And right or wrong, you know, it's an, I would say a good thing or a bad thing, but it's definitely a terrible thing. But it is what it is. And, and that's something that Sasha Banks needs to worry about. She doesn't have, you know, grown-up, grown men looking at her like, you know, she's their hero. She has grown men kind of leering at her. It's a different vibe. And I also think it's very different, you know, you show up at an airport baggage claim. And while I probably wouldn't do that, I don't know that I would look down on people that do, you know, if you're just like, I would assume they're going to get in around now. I'm going to hang out at the airport. Okay. You know, I don't think that that's terrible. But when you're calling the airport to get traveler information about the people coming in, when you're buying a ticket to show up at the – a cheap airport ticket and not flying anywhere just to show up at the gate so you get there first, you know, there's a line that at times you have to draw. You show up outside the hotel the wrestlers are staying at, that's fine. You know, you know they're all going to be there. If you're in the hallway, if you're outside a wrestler's room, that's crossing the line. You know, like there, 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 there are – uh, 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 levels to this, and there there are uh, there are levels to talk about, and I think that's what Sasha Banks was getting at. You know, I don't think she minds a signing, and I also don't think she minds being approached. I hope not here and there, but I think that there's a time and a place for certain things, and that just being a person, being polite, you know, and there are people that don't want to get bothered at four o'clock in the morning in an airport, and I kind of, you know, can't I I you know. I, I can't fault that way of thinking. So, you know, I, 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 was, I liked that the conversation became a conversation, but I, I do think that, and it's not just Sasha, all the female superstars have more to worry about when they're getting approached by strangers on the street than the male superstars do. It's a, it's a terrible part of the world that we live in. And I'm not saying that all, all of us or you or whatever that approach female superstars are not good people because I would approach a female superstar and say, hey, I'm a big fan. Can I get a picture? Like, I, that's not a bad thing to do. But there are bad people in the world. And those female superstars have to worry about that a little more than the male superstars because the male superstars are 300-pound guys that can defend themselves, generally speaking. Unless you're HBK at a bar in Syracuse. I don't know. I don't know all the details of everything. I just don't know all the time. Look, I do have to tell you that uh, this week, uh, I'm sure that the audio sounds a little bit differently than usual. Uh, of course, the big cast interview uh, I did on location, but the reason that the audio sounds a little bit different is because I'm coming to you from the Not Sam Studios. I talked about it last week. I am building the Not Sam Studios. We are still in the process. Last week was uh, a lot about the construction. This week is a lot about the technology, um, but we're getting very, very close. And this is what the podcast is going to sound like going forward. 
maybe a little bit differently. Maybe we'll try to improve it a little bit. But generally speaking, this is what what the show will will sound like. This is the studio that we're coming from. The problem with and, and you guys are going to be so happy when I'm done with the build out. There is going to be even more content and more ways to listen and watch. It's all coming. Trust me when I tell you. Opportunities for live content, all kinds of stuff I'm building out here. I'm building, this is my Rob Deirdrick fantasy studio, okay? Instead of a ball pit, I'm building myself a studio. That said, in the beginning, things go awry at times. And sometimes you do uh, a 60-minute state of wrestling and you realize you've been talking to a room mic the entire time, and you don't realize that until you're done recording. So there is a difference in the audio that you're going to hear um, for the State of Wrestling this week. I did not want to re-record the entire 60 minutes, not because I was being lazy, but because we don't do retakes really much here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. We don't really do, like, uh, uh, we're, we're live to tape. We don't do a ton of edits. We don't, we don't do any of that stuff. You know, I want I want this to be genuine. I want this to, to to be how I feel, and I think that's part of the charm of the show. But I also thought that like it'd be kind of cheesy if I went back and just redid an entire hour long monologue about what's going on in wrestling right now because it wouldn't be it wouldn't be genuine anymore. It certainly wouldn't. I'd be just kind of trying to repeat the stuff that I said half an hour ago. So I left it as is this week. Don't get on my case about it. That's not what we're doing going forward. Mistakes happen, but I want to deliver the content to you. If it's really that terrible and unlistenable, you don't have to listen to it. I'm fine with that if you don't want to. But, you know, a lot of the points I wanted to make were made, um, and I wanted to share those with you. So I share with you the state of wrestling. Do not tweet me about poor audio quality because it was an accident. I'm sorry. And um, things are going to sound great going forward. I can promise you that. So here's this week's State of Wrestling. Concentrate on the content, not the, well, you know. Well, you know. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. And here we are. It's State of Wrestling time. And I, I, it happens, I think it comes up pretty often on State of Wrestling. I talk about storytelling and how much I like storytelling in this world of of sports entertainment of wrestling. I think that's why I venture more towards the WWE side is because storytelling. And maybe it's because that's how I was raised on wrestling. I don't know. To me, like, I can enjoy a New Japan show. I've enjoyed many a New Japan show. They I, Sometimes they're the best shows of the year. The Wrestle Kingdom shows specifically. But even that, we talked about it. Even the G1, the beginning of the G1 stuff that was the live special they did on Access this year. We talked about how great that was, but we also talked about some of its shortcomings. Uh, Ring of Honor, the same way. Sometimes there's amazing storytelling, but a lot of these promotions, and even Pro Wrestling Guerrilla, you know, I've had, I've had the time of my life at the one show that I went to. But it doesn't feel can't miss unless there's some kind of great storytelling in it. For me. That's just the way I am. And I thought that it was just, and, and by the way, storytelling is done wrong a lot. A lot of WWE storytelling is done wrong. And you think you know where it's going in a good way. 
right? Some, it's not always like, oh, you think you know where it's going, and then it, it takes a turn, and it doesn't end up going there. And you're like, yay! A lot of times, you think you know where it's going, and then it ends up going differently, and you go, hey, why'd you screw that up? That was so much better before. I thought I knew where that was going. It was perfect. It was right there for you. But we had a moment, uh, uh, I, I thought, SmackDown as a whole this week was some of the best storytelling in wrestling over the course of a two-hour TV show that I've seen in a while. It goes back to when the brand split first happened. When the brand split first happened, SmackDown, and we, I, we talked about it last week with Mike Eagle, went on a run of being better than Raw for, I mean, probably months. And a lot of that was due to storytelling. And what what was going on within the two-hour show that SmackDown is? How stories were being told in a micro way? So short-term stories are a big part of weekly TV, right? Each week, certain stories are being told on the television show. Matches in and of themselves are a story being told over the course of Six minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it is, that's a story. You have many small stories that happen over the course of a two-hour TV show. And each of those small stories should, in some way, shape, or form, be leading to one or multiple larger-scale stories. And SmackDown was a good example of not only using the two hours, but... It was a great example of doing it in such a way where we didn't know where it was going. And it ended up being a lot, a lot better. The Carmella thing, for instance. So on SmackDown this week, we have Carmella and Ellsworth theoretically breaking up. You know, Ellsworth makes one mistake and Carmella flips her lid and says that he's less than a human being and she doesn't want to ever see him again. And when I first saw that, I go, I don't know if that makes sense to me. I don't know if I'm even ready for the split up to happen. But you mean to tell me, and maybe because Carmella is a bad guy, we can believe that she's not the most reasonable of people. But you mean to tell me that James Ellsworth, who literally handed Carmella the Money in the Bank briefcase, handed this thing to her, was successful in that attempt, screws up once on one episode of SmackDown, and it's enough for Carmella to never want to see him again. There were there was a lot going through my mind when that first bit happened because I'm thinking to myself, why is why is Carmella leaving Ellsworth? Why are we seeing this tandem ended? And why was the tandem a tandem to begin with? We never got the explanation as to why Carmella had James Ellsworth around in the first place, unless it was just to stroke her ego. But there, I, I felt like there was no closure. Like I needed something there. And so while I was intrigued by this idea of Carmella and Ellsworth splitting up, I was not satisfied with it. I didn't buy into it. But that's also because I thought that's where it was ending. The fact that an hour later, we revisit it. And it's been enough time where we've spent an hour doing other stuff, right? And the other stuff was relevant. The other stuff was stuff that we cared about. It was other stories happening on SmackDown. And then we go back to that Carmella story. And it's starting to feel 
like a very full two hours. Not in a bad way, not in like you're trying to cram three hours into two, but in a, we're utilizing all our time and almost like we're acknowledging this experience that we're all having together right now watching SmackDown. And when the revisit happens, when Carmella and James Ellsworth are backstage together, and Carmella does the thing where she kisses him and slaps him, well then, all of a sudden, you've got what wrestling is supposed to be. You know, for, for a long time now, when fans online get upset about certain things going certain ways, storylines not panning out the way they thought they should, um, specific segments on Raw or SmackDown not being what they thought they should be, Matches on pay-per-view, not turning out the way they thought they should turn out. The company line is to let it play out. Hey, guys, I, I know. But let it play out. Wait and see where this is going. And so often, the reason that that doesn't always hold water is because so often, so many of these stories that we're waiting to play out don't end up playing out. They end up being, well, that was just the segment. It ends up being there was just this thought in someone's head to separate Carmella and James Ellsworth. So they just decided, screw it, let's do it tonight. And they do it in one shot, out of nowhere. That happens all the time. And it's always disappointing. And it's always this thing where you're like, oh, why did I invest that much time in it to begin with? But now, now, you've got a different scenario. Now, we're, if we keep this up, this momentum of storytelling, we as an audience are being conditioned to understand that there is more story, that this story is evolving. And it's not this thing of, oh, because they decided that James Ellsworth and Carmella are not going to be a couple anymore, so it's just over now. That No, let's wait. Because now there are examples of if we wait, it does pay off. And that's what happened you realize all of a sudden that this wasn't just some random decision to break this team up. It was a step in what is going to be the future of Carmella and James Ellsworth. It's a step in freshening up this storyline between these two people. And we can't take for granted the fact that that style of storytelling, when you're getting Act 1 and Act 2, and sometimes Act 3, we'll talk about that, within one show, it's not something that we see all the time. If you're really paying attention to the story, it's clear that Carmella and James Ellsworth next week is going to be a little different. The week after that is going to be a little different. And when we get to the next pay-per-view or wherever the next mile marker is in this story, it's going to be, it's going to look different. It's going to look different. And the little story that existed on SmackDown this week is going to contribute into this bigger story. It's it's like a Marvel movie, right? Like you're watching this Marvel, Iron Man. You're seeing it all go down. And you're going, okay, that was a cool movie, but I don't know where it goes. Well, that movie just established a character to exist inside another movie. So when you've got the Avengers, you've got this payoff from like five movies going into this one big movie and you're losing your minds. That's why Marvel's doing so well. It's tough to argue how well Marvel is doing. But to tell stories like that, it takes commitment to a story, and it takes some discipline. It takes being able to say, okay, 
we want to go here. You don't even need to be specific about it. We want to go here-ish. Somewhere around here is where we want to be. All right, well, then we're going to start moving by doing this. And then commit to it. Do something that is going to lead to something next week, that is going to lead to something the week after, that is going to lead to something the week after that is going to leave us here. And when you do that, you're going to end up with a show that us wrestling fans are addicted to. And we're sitting there. That's the soap opera element that no, people acknowledge so much less now than they used to because there's less soap opera now. And good soap opera is as addictive as anything can be. So I, I thought it was just, that was a great example of storytelling and that was merely an appetizer to the meaty entree that is Kevin Owens versus Shane McMahon. You talk about a, a, a great use of two hours of television time. Okay, so we're introduced knowing that Nakamura and Randy Orton are going to wrestle tonight with the winner facing off against Jinder Mahal at the next pay-per-view. Okay, so you've got that story. So that's what we're talking about. But Carmella's in the ring right now. But she's interrupted by Kevin Owens, who wants to talk to Shane McMahon. And it's and, and they're all... All these stories are intertwining with each other. Because all the participants in these stories are coexisting under one roof. So let's not pretend they're not. Right? All these stories now start to coexist amongst each other. And it becomes this idea where... You care about people more because they're loosely associated with the people that you already do care about, if that makes sense. Because Kevin Owens comes out, and they do the thing with Shane McMahon, and somewhere in the back of your mind, whether it's as this segment is going on, you're like, I wonder what Carmella was going to talk about. Or it's after the segment happens, and Carmella comes back out, and you go, oh yeah, Carmella had something to say. Little things like that. The fact that Carmella came back out after the Kevin Owens-Shane McMahon confrontation, reminds you that there is a reason for being here. There is a rhyme and, and a rationale behind everything that we're watching. Because when you start to get the feeling that it's all kind of, we're just making it up as we go, and telling the simplest stories that we can possibly tell, well, it becomes frustrating as a viewer, and it becomes difficult to get committed to it. That was not the case on SmackDown this week. You talk about Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, and a good use of TV time. Okay. Beginning of the show-ish. Not right at the beginning. And that's the other thing. On Monday Night Raw, it's a little better now. And it was, it was, it was definitely different this week with the Jason Jordan-John Cena match that we'll talk about. But forever, and still sometimes now, it's... Okay, Raw starts with a 20-minute monologue that sets up the single storyline that tonight's three-hour Raw is really going to be about. We'll throw in some cruiserweights, and there'll be a couple of backstage promos. And, and you go, this is so formulaic. But when you watch SmackDown, you're like, okay, Carmella's starting. Oh, here comes Kevin Owens. I didn't see that coming. Well, why is he coming out? There's Shane McMahon. And... And it goes and goes and goes. And it's, it's this moving, living, breathing thing where you're not 100% sure where they're going. But they're going someplace. It doesn't work if I don't really know where they're going, but that's mainly because I don't think that they do. That doesn't work. 
But if you're like, I don't really know where they're going, but they know. Like, I'm trusting them on the ride. It's like riding a roller coaster, man. If you don't trust that the rest of the track has been built in front of you, you're probably not going to bother getting on the roller coaster. Unless you have a death wish. Which I don't. I don't watch television because I have a death wish. Same thing here. So, we have the in-ring confrontation with Shane and Kevin Owens. And it's great. Right? Then we come back and we go... And on most shows... That would kind of be enough. Oh, Shane McMahon beat up Kevin Owens. What's going to happen next week? But now you've got Kevin Owens going, I'm going to sue SmackDown. Okay, number one, that's different. Number two, it's creative. Number three, the story is breathing within the episode. It's all actually happening in front of our eyes. So you go, okay, Kevin Owens is going to sue SmackDown. I guess he's going to come out with Clarence Mason next week. Let's get back to the ring. But then you see Daniel Bryan on the phone speaking to, I don't know, a mystery man. And, you know, you could, anybody, one could have easily predicted that he was talking to Mr. McMahon on the phone. But regardless of if you could predict it or not, it's exciting. Mr. McMahon? We haven't heard from him in in Lord knows how long. So, now you've got Daniel Bryan. You've now added another element to this story. As you're going on with SmackDown, as the Carmella stuff is happening, as the Nakamura stuff is happening, as you've got this thing with AJ Styles and Baron Corbin and Ty Dillinger, all this stuff going down, and you go back again and do an in-ring promo with Shane McMahon that doesn't feel like it's overkill because the story has has moved. It's, it's, it's a compelling story that has shifted since we last, last visited it. We find out that Shane McMahon is indefinitely suspended. Whoa. Okay. That's got to be the end of the story because now we're getting ready for, you know, a package about Bobby Roode, which, you know, fine. And then the Nakamura-Randy Orton match. Okay. And then after the Nakamura-Randy Orton match, you've got one last thing. So we know that Kevin Owens hasn't given up on this idea to sue the company. And we find out Vince McMahon is going to be there next week. I mean, I love the pacing, and the storytelling of SmackDown this week. I, I mean, I think it's really interesting. And I don't know why they don't do it for Raw, I guess. Because you end up with a show like SmackDown where they're represented at SummerSlam and then they don't have another pay-per-view till October. So they go all September with no pay-per-view. So what are they going to do? And they've done this before when they had a large gap. Put on a, a, a an episode of SmackDown that's basically a pay-per-view. And that's what you've got next week. With the Women's Championship, with the Tag Championship, with Vince McMahon coming back, with the United States Championship on the line. And it's great because you probably wouldn't see a Ty Dillinger-AJ Styles match on a pay-per-view. But to see it on a, on a special SmackDown, okay, that's pretty good. Especially the way this is being kind of promoted and hyped. It's a good thing. So... I think SmackDown did a lot right this week. It was not surprising to me, but promising to see uh, Nakamura defeat Randy Orton on the show clean. Because again, it, like I, I feel as though the reason Rusev went down the way he went down on, at SummerSlam was not because you know the internet would have you believe he asked for his release or there's heat 
nuclear heat. Oh, there's nuclear heat against another one of the boys this week. Like, okay, fine. You know, you, you read about people having nuclear heat in the locker room. And then you actually go into a locker room and you just see them laughing with other guys in catering. It doesn't feel too nuclear. Any show I've been to, I've not felt a, a ton of tension backstage with anybody. I see guys that I read on the internet are, are, are at war and this guy is politic against that guy and they're goofing around at ringside before a show. Okay. Nuclear heat. WWE should name a pay-per-view Nuclear Heat just because. I guess they can't now because of North Korea. But just, just, to, just to tip the hat to the internet. Nuclear Heat. But I think the reason Rusev went down the way he went down is that, and I don't necessarily agree with it because I think Rusev is strong, but I think it's because they want Randy Orton to be super strong. He had just lost three chances, attempts I guess is what I was going to say, at the WWE Championship. So they still want him to look strong because they view him as an asset for putting people over. And I think that the reason he went down to Rusev the way he went down is so that when a guy like Nakamura beats him, it's important and special. And one of these things that you're like, okay, Nakamura is the real deal. Because I think that the way you look at Nakamura when he was having his matches with Dolph Ziggler, and the way you look at Nakamura right now, is night and day. Night and day. And I think you have to do stuff like that. You know, we all know the legend of Shinsuke Nakamura. You hear about Shinsuke Nakamura, but the NXT fans, even, you know, as the NXT audience has grown, a lot of the NXT audience is probably not as familiar with New Japan Pro Wrestling as they might say they are. And I'll bet there are a lot of NXT fans that saw Nakamura for the first time in NXT. But in NXT, the hype is, is more real. In NXT, it is, it is easier to fall for hype than it is on the main roster. So, you know, because you see, like, all the fans get together and they get behind somebody. And so they're like, yeah, this is our guy, this is our guy, this is our guy. And you just buy into the hype. Whether you watch New Japan or not, you're like, yeah, no, Nakamura's the man because the NXT hype machine, the NXT hardcores, have dubbed him so. That doesn't always happen, especially not as easy on the main roster. So, because you've got a fractured audience, right? That's what we've been dealing with in the WWE for a long time, is a fractured audience. You've got grown-ass men, like me and a lot of you, you got grown-ass women, like me and a lot of you. <laughs> You've got kids. You've got teenagers. You've got toddlers. You know what I mean? Like, like the audience is very, very fractured. So you can't expect everything that you could expect out of other people. So you've got to, you've got to illustrate Nakamura as a real-life title contender. You've got to illustrate Nakamura and display Nakamura as a guy who is somebody that... Jinder Mahal should be afraid of. And how? what's the best way to do that? You know, he beat Dolph Ziggler, but, you know, I love the heel, but everybody's beating Dolph Ziggler. The Baron Corbin, okay. But the Baron Corbin matches were, unfortunately, a lot of wrestling fans found them fairly forgettable. So, what are you going to do? You're going to have him have a great match with John Cena and beat John Cena clean, 
then you're going to have a great match with Randy Orton and beat Randy Orton clean. That's amazing. We don't see that too often. And I think we got to pause to give credit to WWE because everywhere I looked when Nakamura was in NXT, it was somebody that was scared that Vince McMahon, because, you know, everybody on the internet knows Vince McMahon's mind so well, somebody being scared that Vince McMahon was going to uh, make a mockery of Nakamura, was going to, you know, create another one of these uh, stereotypical Asian characters or just do something, not get Nakamura. And he hasn't. Not only is Nakamura fully gotten, but the hype machine, the bandwagon, the WWE machine that we all hear about is clearly behind Nakamura. It's a questionable decision to have him talk. I don't know that I would have him ever talk. You know, I think that, that part of him being a rock star is the mystique. Be one of those rock stars. Prince, you know, he didn't do interviews too often. And whenever he did, he would talk like this. You know, he would have like a mysterious thing about him. There'd be an aura about him. And that was often more important than uh, than what he was actually saying. For I, I would think that I, I would probably not have Nakamura talk. But... Regardless, I think that the reason they are having him talk is because they want kids to relate to him. They want him to be potentially the biggest Asian good guy that they've ever had. The biggest Japanese good guy, for sure, you know, that they've, that they've ever had. Um, and I think that that's a cool thing. I think that that's something that when we were talking about Nakamura coming to the main roster, that people were uh, almost assumed would never happen. And it is happening. So, you know, you know, I think that that's something that WWE deserves some, some credit for. That whether you agree with how they're doing it, it is clear that they're not halfway doing it. They are putting the WWE machine behind Shinsuke Nakamura. And I'm happy about it. But part of building this return match between Nakamura and Jinder Mahal, and I've said this before, is that you have to add a little bit of credibility to Jinder Mahal. And I say that to mean Jinder does not have a lot of clean victories over anyone. And I mean anyone. Because before he was in the title picture, he didn't beat anybody. He was on Raw losing every week. You have to have Jinder Mahal go on SmackDown next week and win a match clean. Against somebody of substance. I want to see Jinder Mahal, if you're going to have, you know, Aiden English beat Sami Zayn, Let's have Jinder Mahal beat Sami Zayn. Jinder needs clean victories. I know he's got the championship, but that's not really enough in 2017. You've wins and I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. Wins and losses matter, and Jinder Mahal needs to win matches so that we can believe. Because when he talks, I believe him, and when I look at him, I believe him. He's got that going for him. I love the entourage. I love the big entrances. I love the everything, the suits, the promos, everything. I need to see him win some matches now. That's that's the missing piece of the puzzle for Jinder Mahal. Once he wins some matches, then it's like, okay, I believe this guy as a villainous bad guy champion. So I, I, I think you need to have him go on SmackDown next week. Next week, right now, right away. And beat some guys. I think the only guy that he has a clean victory over is Mojo Rawley. Even when he finally had a match with Randy Orton that had no outside interference or, or, or trickery at all, Randy Orton won. 
It was a non-title match, and Randy won the match. So now it's Jinder's turn to actually win some matches. Jinder should be winning matches all the way leading up to this Hell in a Cell pay-per-view next month. He should beat Sami Zayn. He should be, like, it's not even crazy to have Jinder get a victory over AJ Styles. And maybe you don't want to do that right now because you don't want to damage AJ Styles at all. Maybe you want to have AJ Styles in that Randy Orton camp of just looking strong. But you got to have him beat some guys. I, I think he also beat Ty Dillinger. He might have done that. But do, do bad guy versus bad guy if you have to. Have him beat Baron Corbin. Have him beat all these guys. Jinder needs to win some matches and not just against Nakamura. And he needs to win them clean. Like, I, I want to see him win some matches that uh, the Jinderheads, the Mahal brothers, are, uh, are <laughs> the Mahal brothers, like they're his brothers, are out there, the Singh brothers, are out there not interfering for. That, I think, is what Jinder Mahal really, really needs. And if he can get that done, I see it. I buy it. But until he gets that done, I think it's going to continue to be a missing piece of the puzzle. Um, speaking of pieces of the puzzle, before we move on, and, and by the way, before we completely leave SmackDown, I loved, loved how harsh everybody was on SmackDown. Like, everybody was really mean on SmackDown. They were tired of the nonsense. Dolph Ziggler, Carmella, Kevin Owens, Shane McMahon, all these people were just harsh on SmackDown this week, and I thought it was great. It, 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 it added a sense of, uh, of realism to everything that was going on. Um, before we move to Raw, I would like to talk about Jeff Jarrett. Apparently, according to, uh, I think I saw it on Ryan Satin's Facebook page, I think. So maybe it's, I mean, I don't, maybe it's from Pro Wrestling Sheet. I don't have anything in front of me. I'm just going off the top of the head. But I think, I, I feel like I read it on Pro Wrestling Sheet. This seems like, because they, they post reliable stories over there. Um, so I think that this is from there. It said that Jeff Jarrett is no longer associated with Impact Wrestling. Which is crazy. Because Jeff Jarrett started GFW, Global Force Wrestling, which it seemed like was what Impact was morphing into. And then it just kind of stopped. Like, I didn't know it wasn't TNA anymore. And then I thought we weren't calling it Impact anymore. I thought it was just going to be called GFW. And now Jeff Jarrett is leaving. They're saying that they could use him as a consultant. But in terms of being head of creative, Jeff Jarrett is leaving. And I guess... I was listening. I think that uh, Conrad said something. I think Bruce Pritchard has gone from TNA, too. This is why we don't talk about Impact on the podcast very often. Because who can keep up with what the hell is going on over there? You know, we can't just go on storylines because the TV is taped seven weeks in advance. So it's like, you know, we want to talk about it with some degree of intellectualism. Some degree. I'm not saying that we're... we're, we're it's a fan podcast, right? I'm a fan. I do the show for fans. So it's kind of just about reacting to what we're seeing. But we're seeing it from an educated point of view. Like when we talk about WWE, the reason we can say things are good or bad is because we know what the potential is. When we talk about WWE, we talk about it in a way where we know what this organization is. We know what they're capable of. But it's almost to say, with TNA, you you can't say, well, they should have this guy or that guy. Or, you know, they should spend more time pushing him. 
because none of us fans have any idea who is making any of these decisions or why. You know, they in the article that I read, which again, I think was Pro Wrestling Sheet, it was talking about Jeff Jarrett and how basically his contributions were bringing in who? Dutch Mantel, Bruce Pritchard, and then as far as talent goes, Alberto Del Rio as the big face of the company, and then allowing Drew McIntyre, Bobby Roode, the Hardy Boys, all the faces of WWE right now, to leave the company. And while I don't blame Jarrett for allowing them to leave, I blame the company as a whole. It's not like these guys were new, especially Bobby Roode. But it's unacceptable that any of these guys left, yes. But at the same time, you know, Dixie Carter had all these people. Dixie Carter had Kurt Angle. Like, other uh, 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 authorities within TNA have had access to these stars. And these these authorities did not use them. So you can't fully just blame Jeff Jarrett and say, look at all this talent that he wasted because he's only been there for a few months. So this isn't really a, a trashing Jeff Jarrett comment. This is just a comment on, you know, we talked about committing to something. We've talked about this idea that you have to know that, okay, they're sticking with us. Okay, uh, WWE does have a place that they're going. But with TNA, it's like, you know, you don't know who's in charge. You don't know what the company's called. You don't know why, what the strategy is, why the show exists, where they're going. Like, there's just no, there's nothing to it. And that's why we don't talk about it too much. I don't really watch the show. I try to keep up with what's going on. And I'm friends with some of the people over there. And I think they're great, you know. Um, But as an organization, you have to sit there. And maybe Jeff Jarrett realized that. Maybe the reason Jeff Jarrett's not going to be around anymore, I don't have no idea. I would love to talk to him about it. Maybe I'll have him on the podcast. Maybe the reason Jeff Jarrett's not going to be around anymore is because he realized realized that his hands were tied, which is odd because I thought the whole idea was he was in charge now. So I, I don't know what's happening or where TNA is or Impact or GFW or whatever the company is called. I don't know what's happening to them. You know, I, I, I hope for the best because, I mean, I, I so many people that I know Guys that I know from WrestlePro, the Mario Bocaras, the Falabas of the world, you know, the Cherry Bombs of the world, all so many people, and Alley and, and Pepper Parks and all, so many of these people came into TNA and it was like, finally, you know, I didn't make it to WWE and I didn't, I didn't know if I would ever make it to a national wrestling company and I'm finally here. And... These guys are talented. The people that TNA has now are still talented. We focus so much on the talent that TNA has allowed to leave that we don't talk about the talent that they still have, which is a lot. And it doesn't feel like they're doing a whole lot with it. The same way it didn't feel like, you know, they were doing anything with the talent that they had before they left. And WWE figured out, Triple H and Vince McMahon and everybody else, and Road Dog figured out what to do with that talent. Um, so I, I, you know, again, you just hope for the best. 
A na- having another national wrestling company is a good idea. It's a good thing for everyone. Wrestling is in a good place. It just... You need... You need somebody committed to the show and to the product. And we as fans need to know that somebody's there making sure this stuff happens. Because who knows, man. Who knows what goes on. But I'll tell you. I mean, I, I, I hope for the best for everybody that's in TNA. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to be talking to Bobby Lashley at the Now Here This Festival, uh, the podcast festival, this coming Sunday at uh, 11 a.m. Is my, is my time. But buy a Sunday ticket at nowhearthisfest.com to hear the interview and be a part of it live. Because I'm going to talk to him about it. I'm going to talk to Bobby Lashley. Because Bobby Lashley's a really interesting case. Bobby Lashley has had his best matches since leaving WWE. Bobby Lashley is the best Bobby Lashley in TNA. And you wonder if it drives a guy like that crazy that his best stuff is not having the best spotlight shined on. And if he thinks to himself, you know, this is stupid. Maybe I should be back in WWE because honestly, I, I think I would. I think I would if I were in Bobby Lashley's shoes. Now, he probably, I think he also wants to do MMA. So he doesn't want the WWE schedule, but it's like, you know, TNA offers a light schedule, but they also offer a light audience. And you want people to see what you do, right? You want to be a household name. That's why people do this. That's why wrestlers are wrestlers. They want to be household names. And without without the ability to do that, you have national TV and you don't have the ability to become a household name. It's crazy. It's loco en la cabeza. So let's talk about what's going on on uh, 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 Raw. When the bad episode... Oh yeah, and I also, before we get to Raw, want to say this. I have watched some of the Mae Young Classic. I haven't watched all of it yet. Um just because there's so much wrestling and I've been busy and moving and doing all kinds of stuff. But when you watch the Mae Young Classic, you can see how good WWE is at filming stuff. How good the production value is at WWE. Because go back and you watch the stuff that New Japan was doing live from Los Angeles. And we talked about it on the podcast. They had more people in LA watching the New Japan stuff in America than NXT can fit at full sale for sure. Or the Mae Young Classic, WWE in general, than can be fit in full sale for sure. But because they didn't bring in bleachers, because they didn't cover up the back walls, it ended up looking like a big empty warehouse. Because all the seats were flat and the cameras and the lighting allowed the cameras to go all the way back to the back wall. And you could just see huge amounts of back wall. And it was bad. The Mae Young Classic, it's shot in such a way that it doesn't look like NXT. It doesn't look like the Cruiserweight Classic, even though it's in the same building as all that stuff has happened in. And it doesn't even necessarily look tiny. Because it blacks out. Because there's bleachers. And because you don't see the end of the audience. It just kind of fades away. And maybe I'm I'm being a stickler about it, but I, I really... I have to commend WWE, and I know, oh, big surprise. Sam Roberts is commending WWE. But look at it. Look at that show. Like that, a lot of work is put into making sure that it looks good. And you can't say that about every organization. You know, you can't say that about every show that gets run. Um, And in fact, you can't say that about most shows that get run. 
And that's that's a that's a difference maker. That's what's going to make people without even realizing it feel like they're watching a professional product. So kudos to WWE for the way they're shooting the May Young Classic and the fact that the blacked out full sale looks a lot different and a lot bigger than uh, I, I think anybody else would make that place look. I think it's really, really cool. Um, and it, it, it's, a, it's a fun thing to see. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about Raw. Um, first of all, a lot of controversy came up over the fact that uh, Raw is going to be live on Christmas and on New Year's this year. Um, you know, as a guy who is sympathetic to the people that I know over there, you know, if I were talking to them, I'd be like, that sucks that you have to work on Christmas. Now, that's not that cool. But honestly, like, as a fan, I don't care. I, as a matter of fact, if those are East Coast shows, I will probably try to go to those shows. On Christmas night and New Year's night, I think that that would be fun. To get the family together and to go to Raw or, or, or to Raw on, on Christmas or New Year's. Especially Christmas night. You know, you're tired of seeing your family. You've already opened up all the gifts. You ate the glazed ham. Everything's done. So what are you going to do? Oh, let's go to Raw. No problem. Again, you know, you don't want to take people away from their families at Christmas. But it's also the business, right? That's the industry that was chosen. And you could, look, you could celebrate. I mean, you could pre-tape those shows. You could, what WWE, the only, here's what WWE needs to do to justify this move. Because if they end up just doing throwaway shows like they usually do on holidays, then that's not right. If they end up doing shows where it's just like, you know, Santa comes out and, and he's thrown out gifts and somebody comes out and punches him in the face or something, I don't know what the plan is. But if it's just a throwaway, typical Christmas holiday Raw, well then that's not cool like why would you waste somebody's time like that why would you make your whole roster and crew by the way come in and lose their christmas to do something that you could have pre-taped because it doesn't matter if people already know what's going to happen but what about this what if you instead build raw on new year's and christmas as like these big special shows you know back in the day territories used to run on Christmas and Thanksgiving all the time. Holidays were a huge time for territories back in the day. Because what would you do? You would have nothing to do later in the evening on holidays because dinner would always be early. You would have seen your family already. Like, what are you going to do? Let's go to the wrestling matches. And they used to do, you know, Thanksgiving. Survivor Series was the Thanksgiving tradition. Christmas was the same way. They didn't have any pay-per-views, but back in the territory days, they would always run on holidays. Um... But they'd have major shows on holidays, right? They'd have big, big shows. So it wasn't like anybody's time was wasted. And I think that that's what WWE needs to do. If they're going to have live Raw on New Year's and on Christmas. And I guess one of the Hardy Boys' wife tweeted out or something and said it was the network's call, not WWE's call. I don't know. Again, none of us know the inside track. But I still, just whether WWE wants to do it or they're forced to do it or they just think that they probably should, what you need to do is is build to a couple of specials. Same way SmackDown is doing this pay-per-view quality SmackDown from Las Vegas next week. Make Raw on Christmas and on New Year's live for the first time ever and make it huge. Put on pay-per-view quality matches. 
Give us a John Cena match. John Cena better be working Christmas. Oh, if the part-timer doesn't work Christmas, it'll just lead into some good promos headed toward WrestleMania. But, but, yeah, I want to see John Cena there on Christmas. But yeah, I mean, make it, make it a big spectacle. Make it a big spectacle so that people want to be there and want to watch it on Christmas night and on, on the night of New Year's. Because other otherwise, it is a waste of everybody's time. But, you know, the power is in the WWE's hands to make it not a waste of everybody's time. And that's why, I mean, think about it this way. If, if the show is a throwaway show, I wouldn't want to go to it on Christmas night, let alone be a part of it. But... If it's a special show, if it's an awesome show, if it's if it's if it's got a good lineup, then yeah, as a fan, I want to buy a ticket to that show, which you know I would think as a performer I would want to perform on that show if it's that big of a show, uh, and 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 you could celebrate Christmas a day or two earlier or a day or two late, right? You could. That's why I mean <laughs> that's what you have to do. That sounds very callous of me, I'm sure, but. If the show is big enough that you're like, no, you have to do this show live. You could not tape this show on another day. Then it's like, okay, you have to pick one or the other. Are we going to do Christmas on a different day or the show on a different day? Well, the show is going to be huge. You're not going to be able to do the show on a different day. All right, well, if the show's bigger than Christmas, then we got to do it live. Again, we'll do it live. We'll do it live on Christmas. Raw was a, it was a decent Raw. Well, I don't know if that feedback came through the mic or not, or if it was just in my headphones. It was a decent Raw. Um, I was happy to see uh, The Miz uh, over Jeff Hardy. Again, that was like, uh, I, I like when I see clean victories like that. Because it really, to me, helps a character. And all this build about Jeff Hardy and hasn't held the Intercontinental title in 10 years and, and talking about, you know, this guy is a former champion of the world. And the idea that as you're watching this, you do think to yourself, Jeff Hardy could win the Intercontinental title tonight. The idea that Jeff Hardy will have another singles run is not, is not so far out of the realm of possibility. You know? So, I'm watching this going like, okay, I could see it going the other way and to watch Miz pin this guy clean, was like, there he is. That's right. A little bit of respect for The Miz. And I was happy to see it. I really was happy to see it. Um, I, the big the big thing on Raw right now, I don't think, uh, dude, can we all take a second? Let's all take a second to admit, as Mark Henry pointed out, we a lot of us were yelling, please retire to the big show. And I remember a year or two ago having a conversation with Linendahl about the big show and his place in WWE. And for a while, this was before Big Show lost all the weight. This was this was again, probably two years ago at this point. Big Show was on TV every single week. He wasn't doing that much. And at that point, it was like, we need to take a break from the big show. But what I said then was the big show doesn't need to retire. The Big Show just needs to be used sparingly. The Big Show needs to be used as an attraction. And that's how he's being used now. But I'll be damned if I didn't see The Big Show as athletic as I have ever seen him on Monday Night Raw this week. I mean, just incredible. 
in that cage match against Braun Strowman. Not only, I mean, this is a guy who at his age, think about how long ago the Big Show started. The Big Show was in the Dungeon of Doom. There are people listening to this podcast that were not born when the Dungeon of Doom was a thing. The Taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan. Huss! Huss! The Zodiac, a.k.a. the Butcher. The Yeti. Kamala. The Dungeon of Doom. The Giant was in there. By the way, this is the best shape the Big Show has been in since those days, which is incredible. But you know when that was happening? 1996, 95 even. So let's just say 96. 96, 2006, you're talking about 20 plus years ago. Over 20 years ago, this guy is wrestling in WCW. He's a giant, okay? Giants don't last 20 years. And so to watch a guy, he got thrown off Kobo Hall, for God's sakes. Hulk Hogan threw him off the roof in Detroit. And now he's wrestling at the level that he is wrestling at? Giants don't last 20 years in this business. And to watch him on Raw go 20 plus minutes, I think. I might be wrong. Could be 10 plus minutes, but whatever. Go a long match with Braun Strowman. And as athletic as I've ever seen him, superplex, elbow off the top, through the cage. I mean, to not be impressed and downright inspired by the Big Show, you are a maniac. If you're not sitting there looking at the Big Show as an inspiration, you have lost your mind. You're a crazy person. Because the Big Show was damn incredible on Monday Night Raw this week and deserves all the respect in the world. I mean, that is... Some of the moves in that match could be played on his Hall of Fame montage. And, I mean, you know, they're talking about Batista maybe going into the Hall of Fame this year. But the minute that the Big Show decides to retire, which after Monday night can be whenever he damn well pleases, the Big Show is a headliner. Hall of Fame guy. I mean, my God. I was blown away. Blown away by how good the Big Show did. And Braun Strowman, if he's not the best big man in years, I don't know who is. Just fantastic. Fantastic match. I was sitting there even at the end. Even at the end, I was feeling selfish. Because you saw all these high-impact moves, all these moves that are way too athletic for either of these two guys to do. Braun scoop slamming Big Show and getting him up on the shoulder multiple times. Like just amazing feats of athleticism and strength throughout that cage match. And I was feeling selfish. I was like, ah, we watched the guys, you know, uh, 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 put the double supports on the ring. Which, by the way, was just such a, a great little addition. Again, production value. Just little things, little details that other people would not think to do. But we watched them. They put the they put the little things on the ring. They re they double reinforced it. They had all this stuff. They were talking about the ring falling apart, and I was like, they had survived the superplex, and I was like, really, no big stunt, no big anything. And then watching the big show get flung through the cage, and it looked good. It looked really good, honestly. The big show getting flung through that cage looked better than when the big show Paul White flung Steve Austin 
through the cage at St. Valentine's Day Massacre in 1999 at his WWE debut. 1999, his WWE debut, where he already had years under his belt. That's the giant big show. My God, what a match. Um, aside from that, the Braun Strowman-Brock Lesnar stuff. Uh, obviously, the story of stories on Monday Night Raw is John Cena versus Roman Reigns. And look, anytime those two are in the ring together, it's just instant star power, and I'm glued to the screen. I want to know what's going on. Um, you know, I, I thought Roman Reigns joking about how big his penis was that it tore his pants apart. I Good for him. You know, I, I thought it was good. It added a little bit of realism. There was still, it wasn't as tense and uncomfortable as last week, which, by the way, I love tense and uncomfortable. Don't get me wrong. But it wasn't as tense and uncomfortable as last week was. But it still felt kind of real. I'm not saying it was. It just, I'm saying it felt kind of real when they were going back and forth. And then Roman Reigns was like, yeah, you would be looking down here. Why you looking? Why you looking? That's like stuff we used to do in like middle school. Sam, your fly's open. Why you looking at my fly, huh? <laughs> Just ridiculous. Um, but I thought it was really good. I thought, you know, Roman Reigns looking like a tough guy is exactly what Roman Reigns needs to do. And he does, man. You hate on Roman Reigns all you want. You could say, I don't believe him as a nice guy. You could say, I don't believe uh, his promos. You could say, when he talks, it's not good. But when he bows up and acts like a tough guy that's ready for a fight, you believe him. Nobody would want to tangle with Roman Reigns. Um, so on that on that note, I think it was successful. I still think John Cena got the better of him. You know, I would still award this round to John Cena. Honestly, Roman probably had a better promo last week, recovering from his flub, than he did this week. Not to say this week was bad, but last week was probably a better Roman Reigns promo, because last week was almost like he was fed up with all this nonsense, all the BS, you know? Um, so yeah, but, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm high on John Cena versus Roman Reigns. I'm still just flabbergasted that No Mercy is as loaded a, as a card as it is. What do you have now? You've got Roman Reigns versus John Cena. You've got Brock Lesnar versus Braun Strowman. Who, who's getting the tag team title shot? The, uh, 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 against, uh, are, are they doing the rematch? Is, are the other two matches rematches? They might be. Hopefully we'll get an intercontinental title match. But, uh, yeah, I mean, No Mercy is a loaded, loaded card right now. And we'll talk about that more next week and in the coming weeks as we get closer to it. Jason Jordan had a hell of a match. Jason Jordan, I think, won a lot of people over with that suplex rollover into another suplex move that he did with John Cena. He had a hell of a match. The more I watch this thing, the more I get worried that this Jason Jordan is Kurt Angle's son really was just done because they think that Jason Jordan has some star potential and they're just going to have him be a good guy and that was just to get some some shine on him. Hopefully, again... You know, I, I really think that this only works if... Here's what Jason Jordan need, what I would do with Jason Jordan. It becomes clear that he's getting special treatment. He gets the Finn Balor match. He gets the John Cena match. He's losing all these matches. He still looks good. I'm not saying you bury the kid. You don't need to bury the kid. You know, I'm not saying you, you, you destroy Jason Jordan. But, you know, you have him go out there 
You have him getting high-profile matches, and he loses a lot. But he looks good losing, and he loses matches that you would expect him to lose. Eventually, people start pointing out, why is Jason Jordan getting all these high-profile matches? What has he done to earn that this kind of, of TV time? You know, the John Cena match is a big deal. The Finn Balor match is a big deal. All these matches. Have him fight Roman Reigns. Have him fight whoever. These are big deal matches. Why does he keep getting opportunity after opportunity? Then it, 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 it turns out that, you know, there is favoritism going on. And, and, and Jason Jordan has been manipulating him. Maybe you end up in a scenario where Jason Jordan isn't actually Kurt Angle's son. You know, something to turn Jason Jordan into a bad guy. And then once Jason Jordan turns into a bad guy, then you have him winning matches legitimately, right? You you get to a place, and, and I know that that might be uh, against bad guy psychology, but you get him to a place where he was a weasel in order to get to the position that he's in. But once he's in the position that he's in, give him enough credibility that he, credibility that he stays there. Because I think he deserves to be in the position that he's in. You know, he's really, really good. I just think in terms of a personality and in terms of something that people will lock on to, there needs to be some backstory there. And eventually he can be a good guy again. But I, I do think you need more backstory than, you know, Kurt Angle slept with his mom. <laughs> it doesn't you need more more than just that. If you want to see more than just this, and by this I mean nothing. You're not seeing a, a damn thing right now. If you want to watch me do my thing live, then be a part of it. Come to uh, the Now Hear This podcast festival this Sunday, uh, September 10th, nowhearthisfest.com. You get tickets. Uh, you can get tickets to the whole weekend and see everybody that's there, or you can get tickets to uh, just Sunday, and you'll be able to see me interview Bobby Lashley. Then you're going to get to see Conversations with the Big Guy featuring Pat Buck and Ryback. Then you're going to get to see Colt Commander's Art of Wrestling, all three live wrestling podcasts and three of the best wrestling podcasts out there. Back to back to back. You know, it's three hours of your day on Sunday. It's like going to the movies. Uh, all for one ticket price. You don't buy tickets to each show. You go to nowhearthisfest.com. You buy tickets. And then you get to see as many podcasts as you want. And they're all great shows. So definitely come out. It's in New York City. Jacob Javits. Be a part of it. Nowhearthisfest.com. Promo code is Roberts. I will see you there, and you will hear me here next week on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire.
No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.